With my busy life, I use Shipt same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the bag. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and filling in for the captain is a man who is his own understudy. That's right. Here's the captain. It's finally good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are drinking Christmas Ale by Bell's Brewery. This is a traditional Scotch Ale that is rich and malty with notes of caramel and a warm finish. And it's from Bell's Brewery up in Michigan, so you know it's good. Just how good? Let's go four out of five bottle caps. And this week's holiday treat was brought to us by some of our awesome friends. First, here's a cheers to Emily from Asheville, North Carolina. And a big shout out to Matthew in Lake Ridge, Virginia. Next up, here's a warm weather cheers to Heather B. in Fort Myers, Florida. And a big shout out to Melanie in Manchester, New Hampshire. All right, here's a cheers to Jennifer in Luxembourg, Wisconsin. She says she's been listening since the very beginning. And last but certainly not least, we have Brittany who says we are her favorite podcast, and Brittany is listening over in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Cheers to her, and cheers to all of you out there. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund, and for that, we thank you. Yeah, I contribute to the beer fund so we can make a in beer run. The store will be stocked up very soon. I ordered... I think it's six different designs. And I think I got some hoodies coming back in. So check the store page at truecrimegarage.com. Support the show and get something in return. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Think of someone you know. Someone who is kind, loyal, and a generous person. Someone that is genuinely loved by everyone that knows them. Not just her friends and family, but also beloved by her co-workers. Someone who would drop what they were doing in order to help someone else in need. Maybe someone came up against an obstacle, or maybe someone was in trouble. The person I am talking about, and the person you should be thinking of in your life, is someone that would stop, and she would help that person having trouble. This week's true crime story is about a young woman who, with no notice at all, would take time from her own busy life to help another. The young woman I am talking about has more kindness in her heart and soul than the average man or woman. Unfortunately, the young woman in this week's true crime story vanished. Investigators are certain foul play is the reason for her disappearance. What kind of a sick person would take advantage of this caring young woman? What kind of evil Do you have to have in your heart and your thoughts to set up an opportunity to seize and harm this good Samaritan? Did this monster do this by chance? I think not. As we go through this week's case, I think you will come to the same conclusion that we have. Someone so evil set her up. The abduction was all part of a plan to get the young woman alone away from others, and to do the unthinkable. She didn't stand a chance. It was an ambush. It was a trap that she innocently walked right into, never to be seen again. This is the case of Danielle Stizlicki, and this is True Crime Garage. Daniel Anstizlicki looked younger than her years. She was a vibrant young woman who loved life, her family, and her friends. She is the daughter of Anne and Richard Stizlicki, and the older sister to Holly, Jillian, and Matthew. Danny, as she was called, grew up in Redford, Michigan, and graduated from Redford Union High in 2006. She went on to college but settled in the area after graduation. Danny had an incredibly tight-knit group of friends who called themselves the Redford Girls and pretty much did everything together and knew everything about each other the way old friends do. Even though they all went their separate ways for college, they remained very close, not only socializing together but traveling together as well. Danny even went as far as India on one of her trips. She described herself as a cat lover, a foodie, and into yoga. Her major goal was a modest and logical one. She was looking to build herself a nice little house to live in. Everyone who knew her described her as happy and fun, and the photos that I've seen of her shows her, well, she's all smiles. In 2016, 
Danny is 28 years of age and living alone in the Independence Green Apartments near Grand River Avenue and Halstead Road in Farmington Hills, Michigan. This is a suburb of Detroit. Her parents lived about 50, that's five zero minutes away, in a much more rural area. Danielle and her mother, Anne, both worked at the same place, which is MetLife Insurance. This is a larger company that in 2016 was located just 10 miles from Danny's home in a large building on Telegraph Road in Southfield. Danny, whose title was Global Technology and Operations Associate, worked on the fourth floor, and her mom worked on the sixth floor. They saw each other often at their shared workplace and regularly met for lunch. People who worked with Danny during her nine-year tenure at MetLife often volunteered to lead workshops or take on extra assignments. Danny was a reliable worker, and she was genuinely sweet and helpful. From what we could find, she had not one single person who had any kind of problem with her. And as for her romantic life, well, there's not much to tell as far as we know. Danny was single at the time of these events, having gone through all of her usual relationships and breakups that most people experience. Her parents describe her as an open book. She was very frank about life, posting on social media and blogging regularly. Yeah, a lot of times in these cases, we see somebody was in and out of relationships or just out of a long-term relationship, that doesn't seem to be the case in this case. On Friday, December 2nd, 2016, Danny was at work as usual. She was texting with one of her friends, Sarah, who was having a hard time with some personal issues. Danny was supposed to work into the evening, but as it was a Friday and things were slow at work, she received permission to get out a little early. Danny and Sarah made plans for that night. Danny texted her and said that she would go home after work, pick up a bag and some other items, and then come over, and the two would go out, get dinner, and they would spend the night together. She told Sarah that she did have work the next morning. Again, that's that would be Saturday, as she was scheduled to lead an 8 a.m. training class that would go until noon on that Saturday. But the two would have the night together. Hopefully this would take Sarah's mind off of the things that were bothering her. And Sarah expected Danny at her place sometime in the early evening. Now that text was the last time Sarah heard from her friend Danny. When Danny failed to show up at Sarah's as planned, Sarah texted and called Danny numerous times. But the phone went directly to voicemail. Sarah finally fell asleep. Now she's a nurse who worked long hours, so she was probably just tired and fell asleep while waiting for her friend. When she woke up the next morning and still had heard no word from her friend, she became incredibly worried because Danny would never, ever just blow her off like this. Right. I mean, she'd at least send her a text, hey, I'm not feeling well or I'm tired. I'm going to have to cancel our plans. Sorry. Yeah, these are old friends, and let's keep in mind, they are hanging out for the purpose that Sarah 
is having some troubles, some difficulties. She mm-hmm. is going to go to her friend to be there for her friend. So Danny not showing up, not texting, as you said, Captain, not reaching out to give an explanation why this is completely and totally out of character. Sarah texts Danny a number of times that morning saying things like, where are you? And I'm worried even saying, are you even alive? Which she was probably, you know, joking around out of frustration. She then called one of Danny's sisters who had not heard from her either. So after spending a nervous day worrying about Danny, Sarah decided to head over to Danny's apartment to see what was up. Now, Sarah arrived at the Independence Green Apartments. This is at 6 p.m. on that Saturday. When she got there, Captain, she saw Danny's vehicle. This is a 2015 Jeep Renegade that was parked in its usual spot. Her parking spot, Danny's usual parking spot, is just eight feet from the front door to Danny's apartment. Right. Now, just a quick brief description each apartment has its own door that you don't you don't open up your door into a hallway and then have to walk through a hallway, a shared hallway, and out one single door. Each one of these apartments has its own front door, and most of them, it appears to me, Captain, would lead you out to the parking lot area. And as said, Danny's front door is eight feet from where she would park her vehicle. Now, trying to get a hold of her friend, Sarah went to Danny's window. She's, you know, yelling through the window. She went and honked her horn, her car horn several times. She gets no response. She walked around to the back to the rear window of the apartment, but saw no sign of anyone as she peered through the window. I think at some point she even threw some rocks at a window to try to get thinking that maybe she fell, you know, that her friend fell asleep and just didn't wake up for her meeting and I'm going to throw some pebbles at her window to see if I can wake her up. Yeah. She was really doing everything that she could to try to get in touch with her friend. Keep in mind, she arrives at the apartment, sees her vehicle out front as usual. She has every reason to believe that Danny would be inside of her apartment. Yeah. But what a great friend, right? Because if I didn't show up somewhere, they, they wouldn't even call me the next day because they'd be thinking, oh, that asshole, the captain, he stood me up. I'm not even going to check in on him. This friend goes above and beyond and says, I'm going to call. I'm going to call her sister. Heck, you're not returning my calls. I'm going to go over there myself and knock on the door myself. Yeah, she did everything but bust down the front door looking for her friend. Now, when she can't get any answer from Danny, Sarah decides, hey, it's time that I need to alert Danny's family. Keep in mind, as we said earlier, Danny and her group of close friends, they've known each other since high school, some before high school. So Sarah knows Danny's family quite well as she's a longtime friend of Danny's. Sarah spoke to Danny's sister and asked her to tell Danny's mother and that Danny was missing in action. And the Stizlickies were very close to their daughter. They spent a lot of time with Danny. They knew her patterns and routines, and they recognized immediately that something was wrong. Keep in mind, we've already mentioned that her mother, Anne, and Danny, they work in the same building. Right. 
Danny does not respond to any of the family's text or calls either. They decide, hey, it's time to call the police. And the family, they all start heading over to Danny's apartment. When they got there, Captain, they observed as well Danny's black Jeep parked in her usual parking spot. Mud was splattered and encrusted all over the bottom half of the black vehicle. This is because the road to the Stizlicky family home was a dirt road, and the vehicle routinely got filthy as Danny drove to visit her parents. The vehicle was locked, and the door to the apartment was locked as well. Now, her mother, Anne Stizlicky, called Danny's grandparents, Rich's parents, her husband's, who had an extra key to the apartment. The police met them there at the apartment, took a report while they waited for this key to arrive so the Stizlickys could enter Danny's apartment. The Stizlickys also called AAA to open up the locked vehicle. The Stizlickys were adamant that this be done because looking into the vehicle, they could see Danny's purse sitting in plain sight. Danny knew not to leave her purse like everybody else knows, not to leave their purse or their wallet just sitting there inside your vehicle where would-be thieves could see it. So this was a red flag for her family. And her work bag containing her work laptop was also visible, indicating that she had, in fact, probably come home after work. The car was opened and nothing seemed amiss other than the fact that Danny's purse was inside the Jeep. Inside the purse, Captain, we have Danny's wallet that had cash in it. It also had her ID and credit cards. And the spare set of keys was in the glove box of the vehicle. This is listed as where Danny typically stored her spare set of keys. Right. The police left the area and the Stizlickys, having finally gotten the key to the apartment, well, they went in to snoop around and see what was up. There, they found everything just as it seemed. Danny had likely left the home, went off to work, left as usual. Nothing seemed to be wrong inside of the apartment. There was literally nothing that raised any concerns to her family. There was no forced entry no signs of a struggle or robbery. And to the family, it did not appear that anything really was missing, you know, nothing of value, especially there was no blood and no body inside the apartment. Yeah. And then your brain is, it can go two ways. One, it can go to something really bad happened, even though there's no evidence of that, or your brain can start going, okay, well maybe, her phone wasn't working, so she couldn't get a hold of her friend. And maybe she got in touch with somebody from work and they came to pick her up for this training session. Yeah, I don't have any record of the family calling her work, but because her mom worked for the same company, she wouldn't have any trouble checking in on her daughter at work. You know, sometimes right. sometimes you can't you can't just call someone's work and ask if they are there or if they didn't show up. They 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 aren't so quick to offer up that information to somebody that they don't know, but seeing how it would be family and family worked for the same company. The the thing here is where you raise the alarm is the purse 
and her work bag being in her vehicle. That seems totally out of the norm for Danny. And then you get into the apartment and you don't see anything that raises any red flags immediately. But we should point out, Danny describes herself as a cat lover. So, of course, she has a cat. Her name is Adelaide. And the cat had not been fed as far as the family could tell. And the the cat appeared to be quite hungry. So this was alarming to the family as well, because now they're like, well, we're concerned about this purse and her work bag being in her vehicle, but it also does not appear that she's been home at any time to take care of her cat. Yeah. Multiple red flags. There's really no way for the family to tell exactly when the last time Danny had been at her apartment. But again, as you said, multiple red flags, the clothes, um, her jacket and boots that she wore to work on that Friday, they could not find them in her apartment. Yeah. Again, something that women are way better than men at, because if I had a job with my father, he probably couldn't tell you what I was wearing the last day he saw me. Well, and your closet is much like Ernest. You, you open it up and it's the same plaid shirt and pair of jeans. There's, there's 12 different sets of that. Very similar to Bart Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> so the Stizlickies, they're, they're worried, right? So yeah. they call the police back to the scene and they want to point out some things to the officers, pointing out that Danny was clearly missing. So the police acknowledged that it did not seem that Danny had ever made it into her apartment and the canines, this time they brought canines with them, could not find her scent in the parking lot. And it should be easy, right? Captain, you have the vehicle approximately eight feet from the front door to her apartment. You don't have to imagine where you would start looking for her scent and they're not picking anything up. Yeah, that's when I start getting pretty worried. So we have bad news that it looks like this young woman is missing. The good news that we can say for once, it seems like, considering the the sheer number of cases that we've covered where the police drag their feet, ignore the signs, refuse to get involved, insist that the missing young person either ran away or self-harmed and so on, The Farmington Hills Police Department took immediate action in this case. Danielle's case was investigated as a very concerning missing persons case right from the get. Police issued a statement very quickly saying that Danielle vanished after last being seen leaving work on Friday in the area of 10 Mile Road and Telegraph Road in Southfield and that they were asking for the public's help in, quote, four major categories, all right? Number one, they wanted to know if anyone saw Danielle leave MetLife, that's her her place of work, around 4.30 p.m. to 5 p.m. on December 2nd. They included that she was last seen wearing a royal blue winter jacket. Yeah, because since we have her car at her apartment, that does not mean that she made it there. And we have some evidence that maybe she didn't make it there, even though her vehicle did. So now we have to go back and figure out, did somebody actually see her leave the building? 
Right. Now, number two, they want to know if anyone saw Danielle driving her Jeep Renegade on December 2nd or the following day, December 3rd. The police chief specifically said that they wanted to know when her Jeep arrived back at her apartment. We should note that the apartment complex, that these buildings, they had no surveillance cameras. So again, as you just pointed out, Captain, they're just really trying to figure out the movements of Danielle. And if they can't figure out Danielle's movements, they want to at least figure out the movements and the timing of such for her Jeep Renegade. Now, items three and four are kind of lumped together. Uh, the police said that they were looking for Danny's keys. Now, the keys would be noticeable because they had a yellow smiley face figurine on the keychain. And they were also looking for her Samsung Galaxy phone, which was in a rose-colored case. So it appears that her keys and her phone and Danny are the only things that they believe to be missing. Do you know if they did any type of phone tracking? Yeah, there was some phone information, and we're going to get into that. Now, when police are asking the public for help, of course, they released photos of all of these items so people could see exactly what they were seeking. So this would be a photograph of the Jeep Renegade for its movements, as well as a photograph of Danny, of course, but also a photograph of her phone and the keys. And the police also referred to a $10,000 reward that was put together by the family for information on Danny's whereabouts. The description given of Danny at this time, Captain, was a young white woman with brown, medium-length wavy hair, often worn in a bun. She was 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed about 120 to 125 pounds. She was wearing blue jeans, a black zip-up shirt, a blue Eddie Bauer coat, and burgundy boots. Starting on Sunday morning, okay, so as far as we know here, Captain, Saturday is when everybody starts getting really worried about Danny. So now we are at Sunday morning, about 24 hours after everybody is extremely concerned about where their daughter, sister, and friend could be. Starting on that Sunday morning, searches of places that Danny was known to frequent commenced while detectives processed the apartment and Danny's vehicle looking for clues. Flyers with Danny's face and information were circulated. It was confirmed that there were no there was no movement of any kind of her financial accounts during the time of concern. And right. her phone continued to be off, shut off. Right. A massive snowstorm in the week after Danny vanished really, really hampered early searches. And this is just one of those unfortunate things that rarely occurs, but we've seen this in some other cases where Mother Nature just does not agree with with allowing you to conduct a good, thorough search. This is some heavy snowstorms. 
But over the next few months, exhaustive widespread searches for her incorporated aerial resources, dive teams, ground searches with canines, and so on. And the areas that they were looking for her included Detroit, Livonia, Highland Park, Farmington Hills, Berkeley, Royal Oak, and other areas of Wayne and Oakland County. So we're talking about a massive area that was covered in the next few months. And early on, they were even checking dumpsters and following trash routes, looking in landfills for Danny. Now, unfortunately, Danny's body has never, ever been located. And I wonder with law enforcement if they had some kind of lead or tip to look out into these areas or if it was just we don't know where to look so we will look everywhere that people will volunteer or we can get resources too. Yeah, I don't know. It could have been as simple as, hey, let's start with point A and then we expand from there and the search just kept growing and growing when they didn't uncover anything. So what do we have? Well, we have a caring, beloved young woman who was reliable, dependable, and really just utterly normal in every sense with no known risky behaviors, issues, dangerous habits, or enemies who uncharacteristically did not show up for an appointment with a friend in need and then the following morning missed work. This is a person who is a constant texter and poster. She was unheard of for over 24 hours and truly unheard of ever again. Her car was parked at her apartment, but her keys, her cell phone, and Danny were all, all missing. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, 
Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers. 
cheers to you, Captain. Long distance cheers to you, my friend. Yeah. All right. Where is Danielle Stizlicki? That's the topic. Of course, one of the first things detectives did was try to track Danny's phone, as you had suggested. Here is what they were able to determine. On December 2nd, Danny's phone pinged off of a tower indicating that at 4.47 p.m., it was very likely that her phone was in or at the MetLife building where she worked on Telegraph Road. Ping showed that the phone then moved east starting at 4.48, arriving at a location in Berkeley at 5.07 p.m. Now, we talked about those searches earlier, and you wonder how quick they had this phone information when they were conducting their searches and determining what areas to search. Right. The phone continued to ping off of this same tower. Okay. Arriving at that location in Berkeley around 5.07 PM, the phone continued to ping off of this same tower servicing this area of Berkeley until 7.53 PM. So just a little shy of three hours, they believe their her phone to be in this general area. Right. So tell me when the it started pinging there at what time? Okay. So they have her phone. They believe her phone was at work near her work building at 447. Right. And then it began to move away from the work building at 448 and arrived in a location in Berkeley at 507 p.m. It stayed in this area until 7.53 p.m., so just shy of three hours. And we don't have any text message to her friend during that time period. Her last text message was in the 4 p.m. hour, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Um, her her last communication is to her friend saying, hey, I'm going to get a bag. I'm going to swing by my house, and then I'll I'll meet you at your place. And that seems to be the actual last communication that Danny made with anyone. And, and that would be communication she made to her friend as she's leaving work, it seems like. Yeah, later in the day, shortly before leaving. And so they're able to track her phone, even though it does not appear that she's using it to communicate with anybody during this three-hour time period. Now, at 7.53, Danny's phone began to move again, pinging off towers as it traveled westward arriving in the area of her apartment building at 8.16 p.m. And I do want to point some things out here. We're, we're citing these times right down to the minute, but we're doing so because the times all match up with what would be a very direct route from each of these locations. Mm -hmm. So when we cite a time of arriving in the vicinity of her apartment at 816 that means that that phone traveled in the direction that is the most common route the fastest route that one would go from that area in berkeley over to her apartment it seems like the phone was shut off after arriving in the area of her apartment building at 816 p.m. and the phone according to the records that were cited that I've seen was never, it never came back online after eight sixteen PM. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to say right off the bat here 
this is not one of those usual missing persons cases, like some of those frustrating ones that we've covered before. You know, you, you could you could reference Brian Schaefer or Brandon Lawson, where there are no clues whatsoever to what happened to the missing person. In in Danielle Stislicki's case, the police almost know exactly what happened to her and when it happened to her and maybe even how it happened to her. And then of course, who did it? The only thing they do not know is where Danny's body is. Right. But it's also not a missing person case where they have to think, did she run away? Did she want to start a new life? You know, was she suicidal? That was nothing that they had to really focus on from the beginning. No, because in this case, as said in the trailer, police arrived at the conclusion very quickly that this young woman vanished because foul play was involved. Right. And the detectives and the police did some really great work investigating this case. This is some of the better uh, police work that that we've seen that we will be discussing um, as we go through this case. Now, we should probably put in a caveat here because all of the things that we're going to state are, they're simply alleged. Uh, but thanks to a very thorough televised preliminary examination in this case, we have a very good idea of what the state of Michigan's case is against the suspect whom they allege killed Danny with premeditation and then disposed of her body somewhere. And we also believe that there's some more information that law enforcement has that they haven't obviously shared that will be positive in their case against this individual going forward. Yeah. So here's what happened, let's say, right? And this is, again, it's all alleged. So at this point, it's still theory. But as you will hear, as we go through this, there is evidence to back up certain items along the way on this theory. So let's all join hands and and walk together down this path in true crime garage army fashion. Danny was at work on Friday, December 2nd, 2016, and she made plans with her friend Sarah to have dinner and sleep over at Sarah's place after work. Danny usually got out of work between 5 and 5.30 p.m., but as we said, it seems that on this Friday, she managed to get permission to sneak out a little early. Her phone was in the area of her workplace at 4.47. But at 5.07, just 20 minutes later, it was pinging off a different tower several miles away in the Berkeley area. Then it returned to the area of her apartment before vanishing from the network at 8.16 that night. After Danny was reported missing, police set about interviewing her friends, family, and colleagues. This involved sending a team to her workplace, MetLife Insurance. They needed to determine whether she had left work that day as her phone indicated, and then when she left, and whether she was alone when she left. 
at MetLife, police interviewed a woman named Debbie. I am she, I'm guessing captain. She's related to the, the much more famous Sam. I am mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Stizlicki. Neither one of them like green eggs and ham. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Daniel Stizlicki was Debbie's trainer. And according to Debbie was a bit of a mentor. Now, Debbie told police that she and Danny left the MetLife building at the same time on that Friday afternoon. Okay. So they're they're walking out of the building, and this is a big, beautiful building. Looks very traditional in the office sense, and it spills out into this very large parking lot. So the two of them leave through, you know, leave out the building at the same time, and they parted ways out the front door, but they both you know, they're both walking toward their vehicles that are parked in the front lot of -hmm. this building. So even though they've parted ways, they can still see one another. But once Debbie was at her vehicle, she looked over and observed that Danny did not walk to her Jeep. Danny, for whatever reason, walked over to a vehicle that was sitting in the lot. And this vehicle had its hood up. So Debbie could see her friend Danny talking to a man who appeared to be the owner of the vehicle that had the hood up. Right. Debbie identified the car as a dark gray late model Buick. Debbie watched as Danny chatted with the man who Debbie described as a black man about five foot eight inches tall dressed in a suit. The two appeared to know one another, according to Debbie. And in fact, Debbie recognized him from around the building. This is also not a parking lot that just random people would park in. So you have a car with its hood up. You don't think that the person was there in that parking lot to go to Walmart or to go somewhere else. If you're in that parking lot, you're pretty much going to that insurance agency. Well, and here's the difficult thing here as well, Captain, with this eyewitness statement. And God bless Debbie for her wonderful information. This is a pretty thorough eyewitness account. She is saying to police that I recognize the man that Danny was talking to from around the MetLife building. Right. What is not... What we cannot discern 100% from this is if she recognized him by name, okay? So what I think we have here, and I think this is 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 very important to, to key in on, from all of the reports I saw, it does not sound to me like Debbie knew the name of this man, other than saying, I believe I've seen him in the MetLife building or recognize him from work. I just don't know his name. Again, this is a large office building. There's a lot of people that work there. Yeah, I, I believe he said that the mother worked on the sixth floor, but I, I don't remember how many floors total they had in this building. But from seeing pictures and seeing video, it, I mean, this is a this is a complex. Right, right. And because Debbie said that, one, she recognized the man, and two, the man and Danny appear to know one another. This is, she's just gauging this from observing their conversation. She decided it's okay to leave and head out 
you know, she had places she needed to go. Right. So everything seemed to be fine. And she said, all right, well, I, I took off. That was the last time that Debbie ever saw Danielle Stizlicki. A police spoke with a MetLife employee. This is another employee. His name was Brandon Williams. He was a co-worker of Danny's and said that the two were friendly. They, they knew each other somewhat, although they did not socialize outside of work. He said that he left a few minutes after Danny did on that Friday. She said goodbye to him on her way out. Now, Brandon's car was parked in the back lot behind the building. So Danny's Jeep is parked in the front lot. And remember, she's last seen by her friend Debbie talking to a man in the front lot. Right. Brandon is parked in the back lot behind the building. So he leaves. And by the time he got to his car and drove around to the road outside the front of the building, this this would be several minutes would have elapsed by this point. But he says that he pulled up to a stop sign or stop light at the intersection. I'm not sure if it's a stop sign or stop light, but he pulls up to that intersection. Now, Brandon was in the left lane and next to his car was Danny's vehicle was also stopped at the same intersection, but she's in the right lane. You know how you have uh, two lanes and sometimes one makes you go one direction and the other lane will force you to go a different direction. The car's are right next to one another heading out of the parking lot. The right lane headed north onto Telegraph Road and the left lane headed south. Uh, Brandon said Danny was driving the vehicle and a man that he recognized from the MetLife work building was in the passenger seat. Brandon, the eyewitness, says that this was sometime around 5 p.m. on that Friday. Brandon is the last person who is known to have seen Danny. Okay, so police have two witnesses who saw Danny in the company of a black man they both recognized right. as someone they saw around their work building. Who was it? So detectives said later that they became aware of this man on December 6th. By this time, Danny was missing for four days. This likely means that by the 6th, they had received the two witness statements naming the man seen with Danny in the parking lot. But they were left scratching their heads when they discovered that the man seen with Danny was not an employee of MetLife. And as the captain said, this is not really a parking lot where one would just find themselves. You, you, this would be a destination you would expect to only see people working in that building or working for MetLife in that large parking lot. The man we're talking about was once employed there, but he no longer worked in the building. There was no reason for this man to be in the MetLife parking lot on December 2nd 2016. The man's name was Floyd Galloway Jr. Now, why did he stop working at MetLife? So let's let's get into who he is. And he did work there, as you said. What he did while he worked there, and then we'll we'll get through um the the, the short answer of why he no longer worked there mm -hmm. was these larger buildings 
are usually typically under under property management companies that will manage the building, the grounds, and in the right. daily activities and such. So he, the company he worked for was contracted to work in that building. Well, when the building switched ownership or management companies, the company he worked for was no longer contracted to work in that building. Right. So Floyd Russell Galloway Jr. was born on January 23rd, 1987. He attended Shrine High School in Royal Oak, played basketball and football. He was relatively quiet and did not get into any trouble at all that I could find. We know that at the time Danielle vanished, Floyd was married for about four years to a woman named Eileen Galloway, who was a me- <clears throat> who was a mechanical engineer. The couple lived at 2910 Oxford Street in Berkeley, Michigan. There's that Berkeley again. Yeah. Floyd was employed by a security contractor and was either taking classes to become certified or already was certified as an EMT and volunteer firefighter. He was a pretty big guy, pretty well in shape. Yeah, he's not he's not particularly tall, described about five foot eight, five foot nine, but yeah, you're right. He's in he's in very good physical shape, and it appears that he uh, you can you can look at the guy and you have to believe he's got a gym membership. Now, Floyd and Danny met through Floyd's employment as a contractor for the company that provided security for the MetLife building. Mm-hmm. Floyd's job was to man the desk and the front entrance to the MetLife to sign in visitors. You know, you check IDs, monitor the parking lot, and there's a lot of other duties that go in, into that as well. But that's a general description of his job. Various people told police that Floyd was interested in Danielle. It seems that Danny was one of those nice young women who is friendly to everyone. You know, that's just her nature. And if he, you know, we have people saying that he's interested in her. If he made advances or, flirted with her she very likely was too polite to shut down unwanted intentions yeah she had a very friendly face and and she had a nice smile and and so you could see a guy go okay well this girl they could have locked eyes or something and she was just trying to be polite and maybe smiled at him and then this guy goes okay well i'm a security guard here now i got to pass by her desk as many times as I can because uh, a lot of those large buildings that you work in you never talk to the security guards directly unless there's an issue well I always liked working in those large buildings because they feel like their own small little version of a city you know right. they usually have some place to eat in there and you you have people that work in all different areas but you're all forced to be in this building together uh, at about the same time. So you, you exchange pleasantries and niceties with people throughout your day. That's, that's part of the the corporate game. Right now, as all of our listeners will recall, Ann Stizlicki, Danny's mom worked in the same building. She said 
that she found Floyd, she, she knew who Floyd was, to always be professional and friendly, saying, quote, Floyd was very friendly and approachable to many, many people in that building, end quote. This is what she told the Detroit News. As part of his job, Floyd's job, he would watch employees, particularly female employees, as they walked to their vehicles at night to make sure that they made it to their vehicle safely. The only thing Anne, Danny's mom, thought that was odd about Floyd was that he, you know, he's supposed to be manning the desk, but she said he was always kind of wandering around, particularly when she and Danny were having lunch in the fourth floor cafeteria. Right. He was the only security guard who ever came up there, according to Anne. And it happened so often, and it constantly seemed to be when Danny was on her lunch break. Floyd was friendly and would come up and make conversation, but again, Anne found this to be odd. Anne noted an instance on October 28th, 2015. So this would be more than a year before Danny went missing. When Danny had received a surprise bouquet of flowers on her desk, yeah. there was a note written on a yellow sticky that said, you know, one of those yellow post-it notes. <laughs> yeah, let's not call it a sticky. That's uh, what we used to call them at the office that I Oh, worked. yeah. Hand me a sticky. Oh, thank you. So this said on the yellow sticky, it said, <laughs> from Secret Admirer. Hope this made you smile today. And it was unsigned. Ann thought it was a little creepy because outside deliveries to employees were not permitted at their desk. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are very familiar with this setup. If you work in one of these large buildings, if a delivery from outside of the building were to arrive, it's usually kept and held somewhere for you to come down and pick up. Heck. It's right. It's held at the front desk. And who is manning the front desk? Or the mail room. This building had a mail room, so it, it could have been held in the mail room. Right, but um, somehow it got past security. And who's most likely to deliver this? The guy that's stopping by her desk every day. Well, and of course what Anne is going to put together, Captain, is that the the flowers arriving to Danny's desk meant that someone in the building was Danny's secret admirer. Right. The, 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 the flowers came from someone in the building. At the time, no one, including Anne, suspected Floyd Galloway of being the person to give these flowers to Danny. But Anne said that Danny most definitely did not have a relationship with Floyd Galloway. In fact, it sounds like Anne was made aware by Danny that Danny thought that he, she was a little creeped out by him. She noted that he would loiter near her cubicle, constantly trying to make conversation with her, which was not part of his job at all. And this did not go unnoticed by Danny. And at some point she communicated this to her mother. Well, and it's also weird when you're in such a big building like that. I used to work in a pre-sort mail building, so everybody had their own stations, and we worked pretty far from each other, I'd say 15 feet at least. 
and you'd have stock people that would come up to the individuals throughout the day and you might have a, a buddy that was became friends with the stock guy and the stock guy would just drop by to talk about a Monday night football or whatever and same way with security guards but if they stopped by a couple times for friendly conversation not a big deal but when it's um, a guy that seems to be flirting with you um, that would get pretty uncomfortable. When police processed Danny's apartment, they found some things of interest. One was this note from the secret admirer. That was taken into evidence, of course, and they found Danny's old phone. So it sounds like Danny was in the habit of using prepaid phones. It's not really clear why, but someone who knew her well posted that there was absolutely nothing nefarious about this when when we think of people you know that when we talk true crime captain and we think of prepaid cell phones you usually don't think of good activities uh for that cell phone but this was just a personal preference of danny's i should point out you know some people have been burned by cell phone companies cell phone uh, service mm-hmm. providers where you get a bill for five or six or $700 that will break the bank, so to speak. And so to police themselves, some people will use a prepaid cell phone so they don't go over their limit or they don't find themselves in a situation. Yeah. Or if she had really bad credit, she might not have been able to get a phone. So this is another way she could have got it. So this old phone that they find in her apartment, it contained a series of text messages between Danny and Floyd. And this was from the fall of 2015. So again, a little more than a year before she went missing. Keep in mind, Danny worked in this building for the same company for over nine years. Yeah. Here is a shortened version of those texts. This starts on October 23rd, Captain. From Floyd to Danny. How is the new place coming along? Danny responds, good. Still getting settled in. May I ask who this is? Floyd to Danny. It's Floyd, silly. I thought you had me saved. And then he sends a a frown uh, face. Danny says, I did. I lost my old phone. One week later, on October 30th, Floyd to Danny. Hiya. Danny replies, hi, what's up? Floyd says, nothing, just seeing how you are doing. Danny says, I'm good, preparing for a class tomorrow. Danny says, hey, by any chance, did you send me flowers? Floyd says, nope, I don't know anything about any flowers, Was it your birthday or something special happened this week? Danny. No, just showed up on my desk and I can't figure out who sent them. Ha ha ha. Floyd. Well, since it's Friday and I'm bored, LOL. You have any plans tonight? Question mark. Danny. I'm supposed to go to a friend's 30th birthday party tonight, but I'm not sure when I'm getting out of work still. Frown face. Floyd. Well, tell work peace out and let's pregame before you go out. He sends the wink emoji. I have, I have this really, 
neat drinking game you might like. You're welcome to come over to my place if you want to. Guy's a tool. I'd love to. This is Danny replying. I'd love to, but I'm already going to be late since I'm leaving now, and it started at 6.30. October 30th, the day that Floyd was texting on this this same day on the 30th, Mm -hmm. that Floyd invited Danny to come over to his home to play a drinking game. I, I want to throw out there a note that that was Floyd's wife's birthday. This guy's a piece of shit sandwich. <laughs> so Floyd tried once more to text Danny, according to the old phone, asking her on November 21st what she was up to that evening. Now, there are no more texts between the two of them that appeared on that old phone. Police were able to determine that on Danny's new phone, which we should point out has never been found. There were four texts between Floyd and Danny in April of 2016. However, their content is unknown. Police may know what those messages were. We don't know. It's not been released to the public, but somehow they exchanged numbers or some at some point they exchanged them. Yes. And we don't know exactly how that came about. Did Floyd give her his number? You could, you could imagine any number of ways that he could have gave her his number. Again, it does not appear that, that if in fact Floyd was interested in Danny, which it appears to be that way, it does not appear that Danny shared the same interest. So clearly we have Floyd who's interested in Danny. There's nothing that look, this would be nothing that every single young woman has not had to deal with at the workplace or school or somewhere else. You know, someone who exhibits interest in her, then she does not reciprocate and she's too polite to firmly just shut it down. Well, right. And, but, but it becomes a, becomes a lot harder for her because of his position one if it was her boss would probably be even harder but he's security guard um he's almost somebody that like he's obviously based on what her mother is saying is not staying in his area so he can swing by and talk to her whenever he wants yeah and to top that off i mean this is going to be somebody that you're going to see every day so being outwardly rude to somebody usually isn't not a great idea for somebody that you're going to have to be around day after day after day. So a lot of our, our lady listeners out there know exactly what we're talking about here, captain. And 99% of the time, the guy is harmless, you know, who's, who's flirting or, or whatever. But the other 1% of the time, these seemingly harmless crushes, well, Anybody that's got the ID channel will tell you they can turn into obsessions. Look, it happens to men too, but the threat level isn't there. You know, you might work in a an environment where some girl comes by your desk a couple times a week to say hello and 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 try to get her flirt game on, but you don't feel threatened in any way. But I couldn't imagine what women have to go through on a daily basis at work and 
at gyms and everywhere else. Now, one thing about Floyd that caused some serious concern to investigators was in December of 2016. Remember, Floyd did not work at the MetLife building any longer. In fact, he had not worked there since October when the building had been sold and the new management company hired a different security company. So they're asking themselves, we got two people that say Floyd was the man at the vehicle, in the suit, in the parking lot in December of 2016. What on earth was Floyd Galloway doing at MetLife as Danny happened to be walking out of work on that Friday? On December 6th, after having received Floyd's name from the witnesses at MetLife, police went to his home address. Again, this is 2910 Oxford Street in Berkeley. No one was home, so they went to his work. He was contracted out by his employer, the security company, to provide security at American Axle in in Rochester Hills on weekdays from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Police went there and found Floyd there with his dark gray Buick parked in the lot. Now, remind you, that's the same description that was given by uh, our one witness, Debbie, who saw a man with the hood up at the MetLife parking lot. The car had a temporary plate. I don't fully understand this portion of it, Captain, but I'm going to go through it anyway. The temporary plate, police discovered that his wife had recently taken possession of this vehicle at a dealership on November 28th. Uh, the day she entered the hot. Okay. So uh, I, I, I now fully understand. It's just the wording is weird. This vehicle did not belong to Floyd per se. It was in his wife's name. The vehicle was used, but it was new to the both of them. And that's why it had the, uh, temporary plate because she had recently purchased it from a dealer in late November. Mm -hmm. Now, his wife went into the hospital around the same time. Now Floyd told police that he did in fact know Danny, but he hadn't seen her in months, which would line up with him not having worked at MetLife for months. Yeah, but it doesn't line up with the two eyewitnesses. Correct. He said that a friend told him about her disappearance. The detectives noted that he would not look at them during questioning during this time where they, they talked to him at his work. He would only glance at the flyer with Danny's photo and the detectives say that Floyd's hands were shaking while he was talking to them. When asked about his wife, Floyd told them that his wife Eileen had cancer and she was in the hospital for an extended stay receiving treatment at a cancer center in Detroit. And he called into his work on December 1st, calling out sick, calling in and saying, Hey, I'll be, uh, I'm sick and I'm not coming in the next day, which would be December 2nd. Of course, this is the same day that Danny Stizlicki vanished. So he's unaccounted for as far as his work is concerned. As you pointed out, we have the eyewitness accounts of him being seen at the MetLife building where he did not work 
around 5 p.m. on the day that Danny went missing. Well, it's a big red flag. I mean, if it's just like when they have a cell phone ping into somebody's house and then the the girl goes missing, but they have a cell phone ping into a guy's house and then they stop by the guy's house and they go, do you know uh, Debbie? And he goes, no. Uh, has she ever been to your house? Nope. That's the big red flag. And here's this guy going, I haven't seen her in months, but we got two eyewitnesses that put you in that parking lot. Um, you're not looking at us in the eyes. You're shaking. These are these are big red flags. Well, and I like that you point out uh, into someone's house that we have a cell phone that we can pinpoint to the point of knowing that it was in someone's house. That is not the case here in Danny's case because of, of the time frame that we're talking about. But we've covered some cases and in certain areas, this is a this is a warning for any would-be attackers out there, how good and how far advanced technology is getting against these offenders and these horrible people. There are certain areas that today have technology that can triangulate and pinpoint a cell phone signal to the point of if if someone has a slightly larger than normal Boner. lot. Uh, property size where they can go. Not only was this cell phone on the property from this time to this time, we believe it was inside the home from this time to this time, which is fascinating stuff as far as how we are detecting offenders and preventing crime and, and, and finding victims as well. Well, and technology is going to keep getting better. So we're going to get more detailed reports in the future. So after this conversation with police, Floyd immediately lawyered up and afterward he refused to talk about Danny at all. All this was enough for police to obtain a search warrant for Floyd's home, which was executed the next day on December 7th. The search warrant was secret and not reported by the media at all. A second search was conducted on the same premises, but this would be on December 22nd. In this search, the media was on site and articles started appearing in the press linking a former security guard to Danielle Stizlicki's investigation. So what does that mean? What it means is Floyd Galloway was not named by name in the papers at that time. They were simply referring to him as a former security guard has been linked to the Danielle Stizlicki investigation. What was observed, though, Captain, was police were seen removing a mattress and floorboards from the Galloway home. They impounded a total of three vehicles and collected close to 300 items of evidence over the course of several searches. As we now know, upwards of 78, 78 search warrants were granted and executed in this case. Sources told the media that the searches were targeting areas that Floyd was known to frequent, like areas near his church, school, his parents' home, and so on. The neighbors reported to police that they had not seen Floyd or his wife much since around the time of Danny's disappearance. This is because as soon as the unannounced 
searches of their home started, Floyd and Eileen, who Eileen, remember she got out of, she was in the hospital, but got out of the hospital on December 9th. They moved to her parents' home in Royal Oak. One wonders what Floyd told his family was the reason behind all of this interest, the police interest in him. Eventually, both his home and Floyd's parents' home were searched as well. But both families continued to support Floyd during this time. Meanwhile, searches for Danny continued. All in all, Farmington police consulted more than 12 law enforcement agencies, and this included but was not limited to the FBI, Michigan State Police, the Secret Service, as well as U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. So what they're doing here, Captain, is they're really circling the wagons to make sure that they leave no stone unturned because what they wanted to do is to verify that Danny did not leave the country, that in fact something had happened to her, that foul play was involved, and that is the reason for her disappearance. Authorities assured everyone that they were utilizing special resources offered by these larger, more well-funded and resource-rich, larger police policing agencies. In a December 7th press conference, the Farmington Hills police stated that they did not believe that Danny left of her own accord. Her parents pleaded for information. They showed photos of Danny, what she was wearing that day, her missing keys and phone and her Jeep in hopes that someone might have seen something. The Independence Green Apartment Complex and MetLife Company each put up a $50,000 reward for information. And by mid-December, the reward was supplemented by the family and others to exceed $125,000. But the news unearthed by the investigation behind the scenes was not good. On December 19th, 2016, the Farmington Hills Police Department announced that based on evidence gathered, they believed Danny was the victim of foul play. The original classification of the case as a missing person was now a criminal investigation. Her family publicly stated that they believed that Danny was abducted. They were right, and things were only going to get worse. guys so much for joining us here in the garage joining us each week so much more to get to tomorrow for all of our old episodes check us out on stitcher premium and also check out our bonus show on stitcher premium off the record and until tomorrow be good be kind and don't litter
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.